But I want to get started as soon as possible because, as always, I got a couple points. Uh, I was going to preach a whole different message uh, this week, but I had multiple people come to me and ask me about part two that I left out of my message two weeks ago. And so I had a couple people ask me, and actually they didn't know there was a part two and a part four. So today I'm going to preach part two and four to you, if possible. And really, I'm talking about a paradox of faith. You know, we live in a, a culture of personality. Uh, we see that all over the place with uh, Enneagram tests and Myers-Briggs or wh whatever you, you, you pick, whatever. Um, but we've fallen out of a culture of character. And there are some issues, there are some things in the Bible where we have actually kind of decided that we're on a spectrum with some of these things, like I'm either on this side or on this side or, or whatever, but there are some things that, that God says we are required as children of God to have both. And so many people are picking sides and thinking they get to choose. The last message I talked about work and rest, and I talked about grace and truth. And now let me give you a definition again of paradox. A seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that, when investigated or explained, may prove to be well-founded or true. I was reading a book uh, called Last Supper on the Moon by Levi Lusco, and it's a really incredible book where he, he really looked into the moon landing and did a ton of research. And I was really interested in this one portion when they were deciding how to decide who would be an astronaut. And, and I'm not even kidding you. They, they thought, well, why don't we put bullfighters up there? You know, because they're not afraid of anything, obviously, like a bull come charging at you, right? Like they, they need that, that courage. Or they thought about race car drivers, you know, moving at an incredible rate of speed and suddenly having to turn the corner. And, and in a moment, it all, all could be over. Uh, they thought about mountain climbers, people who would go up to the very tops of mountains because there was a, a lack of air. But here's what they came down to, and I want to read this to you. Intelligence without genius, knowledge without inflexibility, a high degree of skill without overtraining, fear but not cowardice, bravery without foolhardiness, self-confidence without egotism, physical fitness without being muscle-bound, <laughs> a preference for participatory over spectator sports, frankness without blabbermouthing, can I get an amen? Enjoyment of life without excess, humor without disproportion, and fast reflexes without panic in a crisis. Do you hear the, the paradox in those things? Fast reflexes without panicking, right? That, that you can have both of these things. And, and so, I mean, whether or not you want to look at our astronauts and that's true of them, these are the characteristics they were looking for. They weren't looking for some of those other things we would think about. But I'll be honest, there's a tension in those things. But I have to tell you, comfort is an enemy of faith. And maybe you've been doing this Christian thing for a long time and you're comfortable in your seat here at Wrightsville Assembly of God. And I can tell you, I've come to make you uncomfortable this morning. I'm sorry. So the first thing is boldness and humility. G.K. Chesterton, I told you he was called the Prince of Paradox. He says, it is always the secure who are humble. Living with boldness can make other people a little uncomfortable. Have you noticed that? Look at me, with me at Acts chapter 4. In this situation, Peter and John have been thrown in prison uh, because they had healed this man, and they were talking about Jesus Christ of Nazareth and how he raised from the dead. And so they throw them in prison, and they say, what do you have to say for yourself? And they're like, well, Jesus Christ, who you killed, died and resurrected 
and, and now he, he's where he said he would be, in heaven. Like, he did exactly what he said he was going to do in spite of everything you've done. And then in Acts 4.13, it says, when they saw the courage or boldness of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, which if you look at the original Hebrew, it actually means that they were idiots. It's kind of funny. <laughs> they were idiots. <laughs> they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And many of us, we would say, yeah, look at the boldness of Peter and John. This is incredible. I mean, they just told it like it was to these religious leaders. And, and, and man, what are they going to do? But let's look at what they said. 4, 9, and 10. If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you. They're standing there, and they go, what do you have to say for yourself? And they go, I was kind. I, I, we healed this man. This man was, was sitting at the temple gate, and, and he was asking for money. And I said, I don't have money, but what I do have, I'll give you. The Holy Spirit, get up and walk. And so in this moment, they're like, what do you have to say for yourself? This. <laughs> this is what I have to say for myself. And too many times when we think about boldness, we think about that we got to be bold or we have to be humble. But in this moment, they were being both. What do you say for yourself? An act of kindness? You know, when, when, when people look at the church, what do they say about our lives? What do they say about our lives? Wow, they're really bold, Right? Or do they say they're really humble? Or do they say both? Early in the second century, Emperor Trajan, he was still in the midst of crucifying mercilessly Christians on the cross. And he sent out an edict to all the provinces saying, if you find Christians, torture them and kill them. Now, he needed somebody to blame because things weren't going well in the Roman Empire at that point. And uh, does that sound familiar? But I, I'll digress. But... Looking for somebody to blame, right, for all of his problems. Ah, there's Christians. Let's, let's get them. And, and he was having them killed. But Pliny the Younger was a relative and a governor of a major province, and he wrote a letter to the emperor. And I want to read part of that letter that he wrote to the emperor. The sum and substance of their fault or error, now this is, this is their problems, this is their problems, has been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively, a hymn to Christ as to a God. They're ter terrible people, right? And to bind themselves by oath, not to some crime, but to not commit fraud, theft, or adultery, not to falsify their trust, nor to refuse or return a trust when called upon to do so. I judged it all the more necessary to find out what the truth was. Now, how did you find out the truth? By torturing two female slaves who were called deaconesses. So I'm going to torture them and see what they have to say for themselves. And side note, women in ministry, deaconesses, even though they were slaves. But I discovered nothing else but depraved, excessive superstition. In other words, they believe somebody raised from the dead. I have never participated in trials of Christians. I therefore do not know what offenses it is the practice to punish or investigate or to what extent. He's like, I tortured them, and here was the problem. They came together one day of the week, and they sang to their God, and they're incredible citizens. They're amazing. 
Like, I can't find anything at fault with their lives, and they're loving people, and, and, and if they have a trust, if, they, if they've given something, you know, if they've received something, they'll pay it back, and all these different things that they are saying about the people of God, are they saying that about us, church? Are they saying that? About, I mean, how bold these deacons, like, take away your faith. No, but you're a slave. Like, why are you? Because I believe in Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then he goes on. This is hysterical. I therefore postponed the investigation and hastened to consult you, for the matter seemed to me to warrant consulting you, especially because of the number involved. For many persons of every age, every rank, and also of both sexes will be endangered. For the contagion of this superstition has spread not only to the cities, but also to the villages and farms. He's like, he's like there's a problem. I'm killing off all my people. <laughs> There's a problem here. I'm killing everybody off because it's spreading so far and so fast. And these people, their lives have so much to say about the way that they're, they're believing. Boldness is not born from arrogance, but fueled by confidence. Confidence in God. See, confidence is different than arrogance. Arrogance is excessive pride in oneself, often with contempt for others. That's how that shows up. 1 Peter 2.12 this is the same Peter, right? The same Peter who was like, look at this. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. So what do you do when people talk back about you? Live. Like Jesus called you to live. We can, why can these individuals be so bold? Because their lives are such a powerful representation of Jesus. For many people, I know more about their political affiliation than the fact that they live their lives for Christ. Choosing a side and taking a stand are two separate things. Now listen, hear that out for a second. Choosing a side and taking a stand are two separate things. I refuse to preach like a political pundit and choose instead to preach Christ crucified. I knew this was going to get you uncomfortable. That's okay. I refuse. I refuse. I'm going to preach Christ crucified. Paul came out to the people. This is the beginning of my message, by the way. I'll get there. But Paul came out to the people, and, and, and he said it wasn't by all this eloquence. It was by power. It was a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And this is what I've decided to do, preach Christ crucified. But Chris, what about this? Preach Christ crucified. But what about this? Preach Christ crucified and live according to the word in which he taught us. I told you, I'm coming out. Here we come. <laughs> we often want to speak into people's lives without relational equity. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, Pastor Choco de Jesus is our general treasurer of the Assemblies of God in America, and he had this uh, big church in Chicago. He had decided not to go out to the suburbs of Chicago, but to stay right in the middle uh, of the, the craziest parts of Chicago and has birthed an incredible church and revival movement there. He said in 2012, he attended an HIV AIDS conference in D.C. Everyone from doctors, nurses, social workers, community activists, and many from the LGBTQ community. In the foyer, vendors were selling condoms that glowed in the dark, inflatable genitalia, and a lot of other things I can't mention on a Sunday morning. A gay man from Chicago heard that he was in town at the conference and tracked him down to invite him to lunch. And he said this, Pastor, what in the world are you doing here? Pastor Choco said, I just want to be like Jesus and go where the people are. I'm here to love you. 
He said the guy looked confused and he continued to explain, look, your lifestyle doesn't frighten me. We don't have to agree for me to love you. And you don't have to change for me to love you. They talked for two hours and they parted as friends who understood each other better than before. He knows that he doesn't support gay activism, but he knows that Choco cares about him even if he never changes his lifestyle or convictions. Choco goes on to say, in the last 2,000 years, the church has thrived when it was persecuted and marginalized. Today, those who expect to be given preferential treatment rise up in self-righteous anger and wallow in self-pity. That's not the way of Jesus. Having somebody get mad at you is not persecution. Even if you lost out because people don't like you because you're a Christian. And here's the thing, church, we don't go looking for persecution. 2 Timothy 2.14 says, keep reminding God's people of these things. He's giving this charge to a pastor over churches. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. 2.16, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Verse 23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. I said stupid in church. (laughs) But that's because the Bible says stupid. (laughs) Because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. People seem to think to be bold that you got to light a match and throw it into the gasoline. That's not what the Bible says, church. But must be kind to everybody, able to teach and not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Pushiness is not a fruit of the Spirit, but gentleness is. Russell Moore said this, someone with an unhealthy craving for controversy can always convince himself that he's a warrior for Christ instead of a captive to his passions. Can I remind you, church, we're not victims. We're not victims. The Bible says otherwise about you. These two female deaconesses, they were not victims. The Bible says differently about them. They were more than conquerors. They're overcomers. And when everything comes against us, it doesn't matter. We live the way God has called us to live. Because Jesus Christ was crucified. He died, was buried, and on the third day he rose again. And for me, church, that changes everything. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12 says, and make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Those two words back to back seem so weird. Make it your ambition, be really bold at being humble, (laughs) right? Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should, I love the Bible, mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Does your life win the respect of people who don't know Christ? Minding your own business means focusing on your life and matters instead of meddling in the lives of others. There's a difference between putting the interest of others above your own and a busybody's compulsive itch to put other people right. I had somebody come to me one time, uh, this was at the beginning of COVID, and he said to me, you know, Jesus' strongest words were for the sinners of his day. And I said, go back and read it again. 
Jesus' strongest words were for those who thought they knew better. Jesus' strongest words were for the self-righteous. Jesus' strongest words were for the Pharisees who were afraid of losing their lofty position and their power. They became narrow, defensive, and proud. They believed they were the heroes of the nation. Can I remind you, church, you and I are not the heroes of the gospel. Jesus is. Bob Goffin, undistracted, says, modern-day cynics are like snipers, but they're far from courageous. They elevate themselves, then camouflage their positions. They hide in lofty places they construct, then take pot shots at the people they want to exert control over. You'll know you have found the right community when all the talk is about Jesus and what he did with his life, not someone's opinion about what you ought to be doing with yours. You ever notice that? People that want to tell you what you should be doing with your life, but they're doing nothing for the kingdom of God. There's a difference between discernment and a critical spirit. Do you start with the negative all the time? Are you a perennial fault finder? Rarely have anything good to say. Uh, do, you, do you tend to stir up conflict and dissensions? Can I remind you, church, there's no such thing as righteous slander. There's no such thing as righteous gossip. There's no such thing as righteous hatred or righteous rage. We can't advance the mission of the church on criticism. Boldness is refusing to behave like the rest of the world. That's what I mean, stand firm. My wife and I, we, we went down to a wedding in Georgia, and the rehearsal dinner was at a brewery, right? And uh, we went to this brewery, and they got like 100 beers on tap. And, and if any of you know my story, like not a good place for me as an addict, a previous addict, to be, right? And, and so I walk up to the bar, and I go up to the bartender, and I say, hey, could I have a Coke? And he goes, Coke and what? I'm like, a Coca-Cola. <laughs> you know, a Coca-Cola. He goes, he goes like this. Let me go in the back and see if we have one. <laughs> right? Well, what did I do in that moment? I can't believe this place. I'm out of here. You know, like, what are you? No. No, we, we stayed there and we played cornhole and we beat everybody, honey, right? Yeah. She'll talk smack on you all day. You'll think that we were world champions by the end of it. We were. That, yeah. Yeah, but I, I didn't have to choose this. I stood firm, right? You just stand firm and you walk in the calling and you do what God's calling you to do. And I have to tell you this one word makes a load of difference, meekness. Meekness is not weakness. It is controlled strength. And here's what's been on my heart, church. We can have both strong convictions and a soft heart. Think about that for a second. Many people who have really strong convictions, they get this hardened heart for people and the people that Jesus loves. And other people, they have this soft heart, and they're like, well, I'm going to kind of be wishy-washy on my convictions. But we're required to have both. Jesus understood he had all authority. It says it in John 13, 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, so what do you do with all that? What do you do when you know you've got all the power to rule the world? He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And he washed some dirty feet, church. You know, I used to work in physical therapy, and um, uh, something that I learned... I, no one taught me this, but it really helped whenever I'd be treating people that are hurting. 
And, and this is a sacrifice for me because my knees, I've had multiple surgeries on my knees. And so I'll kneel down. And some of you will notice I'll kneel down to talk to them if I'm putting them on the recumbent bike or something like that, because I want to be face-to-face with that. I'm like 6'1", and oftentimes I'm looking down on people, and your posture matters. When I'm praying for youth students, sometimes I'll sit on the edge of this so that I can look them straight in the eye. I'm not, your posture matters. I was telling Pastor Aaron and, and Val that the, the desk chair in my office, it like leans way back like this, and I feel bad because I'm like that CEO that's like sitting like this when people come into my office, right? I got to work on that. I got to work on my posture. I can be bold, but I can come at it with a humble spirit. Our biblical mandate is to serve, not to be served, to lift others up, not to be lifted up, to love, not to be loved. Think about that. Do you have a teachable spirit? Can you learn from somebody younger than you? Tell you what, I learn from my seven-year-old son every single day. Did you know? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Everything starts with it. Hey, Dad, did you know? No, I probably didn't. But here's, here's somebody who has a lot of wisdom. I find the wisest people are the ones who realize they don't know it all. If you want to have joy in, uh, you want to have a lack of joy in your life, be a know-it-all. So here's some things to think about with that. Focus on the positives. Disagree agreeably which means your goal is understanding, not dominance. Watch your body language. Don't insist on being right. Here's the thing. I don't have all the answers, but what I do have, I give to you, the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter did. Hey, you got some money? I I don't have that, but what I do have, I'm going to give to you. And that moves into the second thought, and that's to worship in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. Jesus said, uh, a time is coming and has now come where true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Now, many scholars are are 50-50 on whether that spirit should be uh, capitalized or or lowercase, but the word is pneuma, which is spirit. It can mean God's spirit, it can mean your spirit. And so, I mean, I tend to think it's a capital S, but either way, this works, okay? I, I I heard about a church recently who they're dying by attrition and, and they've had multiple prayer services, and it, it's, um, they have the same, like, six or seven people come to the prayer services, and they're praying that God would, would increase, that he would bring younger people, he'd bring new people, and, and all those different things. And, and they said one time they were, they were praying so much in tongues, and, and there was an interpretation of tongues, and then they just kept praying in tongues, and, and then all of a sudden a new person walked in, but they were praying in tongues so much, they were like, we're just going to go for it. And, and it went about 10 more minutes, and then the new person walked out. And then the person who was leading the prayer group looks up and goes, well, don't worry about them. They don't understand. What are you praying for? What are you praying for? Church, we can, we can walk in the spirit and truth. And then other churches that'll, that'll be like, I'm all about the truth. It's the truth that'll set you free and, and, and the Bible. And now that we have the complete word of God, like we, we don't need all that spiritual stuff. Uh, we got the word. And why is it then that we can share from the same word, the same biblical text, and there's a difference in an outcome? It's because the spirit of God needs to breathe on those bones and bring them to life. John 16, 13 says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes he, the spirit of truth, 
will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me. This is Jesus talking. Because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. It's Jesus. He's about to go to the cross, and one of the longest teachings before he goes to the cross is is three chapters on the Holy Spirit, on the Spirit of God. He is the spirit of truth, and his role, listen, church, is to glorify Jesus. If you're seeing many manifestations of the spirit, but Jesus isn't being glorified, you may need to look again. 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy. Eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit. This, this is a tough one for some people to look at it and go like, yeah, but, I mean, the gifts were, Paul says to this church, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. But here's what was happening in Corinth, is they had an overemphasis on tongues. They had an overemphasis on tongues. They were overemphasizing it at the expense of other gifts. And they were underemphasizing prophecy. There was a study done in 2004, a psychological study, and students at a Christian college, they were, they were asked to rate the person of Jesus according to different personality categories. And one of the categories was, it was Jesus an introvert or was he an extrovert? And 97% of the students said Jesus was an extrovert. And the professor who did this, administered the study said, the perception of an extroverted Jesus might reflect a tendency within American culture to value extroversion over introversion. If one assumes extroversion to be better, one might conclude that Jesus, the perfect human being, would have been an extrovert. I'm just wondering, church, if maybe the way that we treat personalities and things like that is the same way that we've treated the spiritual gifts as well. 1 Corinthians 14, 18 and 19. Paul is saying this, and this flies in the face of people who don't believe in in speaking in tongues and things like that. It says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. The Apostle Paul is saying, like, "I, I speak in tongues all the time, but... In the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul's reminding them there's a purpose for all of this. Church, I speak in tongues. I speak in tongues when I pray because I don't know what to pray sometimes. I believe that because the Spirit of God needs to pray through me because I am not enough, but what I do have, I give. Spiritual gifts are not the end goal. We tend to think that spiritual gifts are only meant for a church service. With other believers, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is about becoming witnesses to the world. I want to show you this this picture. It's one of our evangelists, Jesse Comrie from um, Pendel District. He just put out this post recently, and I want to read to you what he said. He said, I met this lady as we were walking through the village of Tororo. After sharing the gospel with her, she told us that she had been tormented by a demon. When I prayed for her, she began to run and walk backwards until she fell down and was totally delivered. When I asked her what happened, she said a very strong wind came and knocked her back. After that, she was delivered, and she was born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Two days later, she was in our opening service, and I baptized her in water and gave her her very own Bible. Lives have truly been transformed on this trip, and church, isn't that what it's about? Lives being transformed by the Spirit of God. 
I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here for, as I close here. I have to tell you, there is an order that glorifies Jesus and not your gifting. Many people will say, well, the, the church doesn't let me operate in my gifts. Well, can I just tell you, they're not your gifts. They're his. We can't use the Holy Spirit as a personal platform to be used to our own advantage. And we often want to, we want power without submission. Think about this for a second, church. We want power without submission. It comes back to the boldness and humility, right? You have to walk in both. If, if you want power, you have to be submitted. Well, that doesn't make sense. You're required to have both. 1 Corinthians 14, 39, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. And listen to this, church. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. This is a tough scripture verse for some people to get over because you don't forbid speaking in tongues. It's pretty clear. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Spirit and truth, church. I remember a, a, a guy in our church, a member of our church that I went out to breakfast with him a couple times after he had started coming to church, and he said, what happened on Sunday? I was like thinking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know what, what happened. And he goes, this lady, she was like speaking a different language. And uh, every, the analytical Pastor Chris, scientific mind of mine, I was like, I'm going to, well, 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, and, and you, you know, I just start going through the scriptures, like all this is going on in my head, and I had the Spirit just check me. And, and I check my spirit, and I go, what, what did you experience? He goes, I, I don't know, but there was, there was a presence in the room that day. Yes. That's it. He doesn't know the, the chapter and verse, but he knows. He knows. It's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of Jesus. I had an email from one of our wonderful members who uh, she would, was part of a, a, a meeting where they shared a devotional thought, and somebody used this scripture verse, and they used it in relation to something that just didn't seem to fit, and she emailed myself and Pastor Aaron, and she was wondering about it, like, she's like, this just feels off to me, can, can you look, take a look at this, and she was absolutely right, she was absolutely right, but here's the amazing thing about that, that's the spirit of discernment, it's the spirit of discernment, to discern uh, what God's, what, she didn't have the chapter and verse, and, and didn't have that yet, but, but I was able to provide that, and, and show like, yes, you're exactly right, it's much more nuanced than the individual was giving it. Jeranita, one of our uh, young adults, 22, 22, one of our prayer gatherings, she, she stood up and she gave a, an incredible prophetic word in the spirit, and, and it was absolutely beautiful. And afterwards, I talked with her, and she said, I've never done that before. I've never done that before. It's like, that's, that's the spirit of God. Somebody didn't come up to her and like, open your mouth. and go. Blah, blah, blah. No, it's the Spirit of God. It's inviting the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when you want to receive the Holy Spirit, when you want to receive something from God, when you're submitted to something, you don't clench up like this and keep your jaw all tight, right? Your, your fists clenched. No, when you, get, when you receive it, relax. Just gotta, we got to relax, church. 
That's part of the reason why the Holy Spirit doesn't want to flow through people is because they're so tensed up. Remember, strong convictions, but a soft heart. Just being willing to say, hey, here's a really powerful prayer to pray. God, I want what you want for me. Max Lucado, who's written more books than the years I've been alive, said at 64 years old, he was praying about this verse, about being eager, being eager for the, to desire the gifts of the Spirit. He prayed about it for two to three weeks. Suddenly one morning, he started speaking in tongues. And he goes, well, my theology doesn't allow this. <laughs> my theology doesn't allow this. I don't understand. But the Spirit of God had, had enveloped his life, and, and I love a man like him who's willing to say, I don't know if I have everything God has for me. Can I tell you, if you're living and breathing, you haven't yet experienced everything that God has for you. You know, I call it uh, pneumophobia, fear of the Spirit, <laughs> Because it'll make you weird. You're weird enough. <laughs> think about our culture, guys. Look at what's on the Disney Channel. And we think tongues is weird, right? <laughs> think about it. It's like, what, what if God wants to fill you so much with his spirit, you don't know what to pray, that you just start speaking out in a language you don't know? And here's the thing. That spirit is going to lead you into all truth. Jesus said that. And so maybe you're wondering, like, what's the truth in this situation? Receive his Holy Spirit. Help him. I, I, don't, I might not have the answer. A lot of times I don't have the answer. Just ask my wife. <laughs> and I'll be honest, though, sometimes uh, our church has been growing, and the, the desire sometimes is um, to add more programs to the church, right? Like a buffet, right? Let's, let's get a buffet and, and, oh, that church has something this church doesn't have. And then it's like, oh, yeah, that, no, no, what are we doing? We're just passing around church people. I'm interested in reaching people who don't know Christ. And sometimes, sometimes we don't need another program. Sometimes we need a deeper revelation of the Spirit of God. And I just want to encourage you. You know, when, when Jesus ascended up into heaven, the disciples, they asked him, um, now are you going to do what you said you were going to do? And he's like, that's not for you to know. I believe that there's people in this room that, that you've been trying to wrap your understanding around something, and Jesus is telling you that's not for you to know. But here's what you do need. The power of the Holy Spirit to clothe you with power from on high. That's what you need. You don't need to figure it out. You don't need another strategic session. You need the spirit of the living God. Yes, you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe. When you believe in Jesus Christ, he breathed on them in the room and they received the Holy Spirit. But then those same exact people, for some reason he said, wait until you receive that so that you can be my witnesses. And too many of us are going out in our own power, trying to witness, trying to witness, trying to witness. And we need the spirit of the living God. And they walked with Jesus. How much more do we need that? There was a, an older couple in the church. Um, there are two widows, and they were passing a note I saw after church one day. And you would have thought I was like the teacher in class, like, gotcha. <laughs> They're like, hiding a note. I'm like, whoa, what, what's going on over here? And uh, she said he had a dream, and I felt like I had an interpretation of the dream. And so I wrote down the interpretation. 
that's the Spirit of God. Chuck, who will be in this third service, was standing at that back door, and he was about to have a procedure. And, I, I, you know, he wasn't at the altar. He wasn't crying down here. I, I just went right back, and I was talking with him. I said, you know what? Let's just pray right here. I prayed for Chuck, and ever since then, they don't know why. He's better. He's gone out to eat. He's eaten all, all kinds of food that he couldn't eat before. Like, God's healing him. One moment praying and just felt the, the spirit of God telling me that somebody's hip was bothering them. It was out of line. And Laura, the next day, texts me and says, that was me. My hip is completely healed. It's so much better. Yeah. Why, why is that possible? Why? Because Pastor Chris is amazing? Absolutely not. Again, ask my wife. No, it's because like this, I, I don't have, but what I do have, I give to you. And so would you all stand with me here? We're going to sing this song together. And uh, I just want to encourage you. Maybe you've been filled with the Holy Spirit dozens of times in your life. And uh, this is where the humility comes in. And you recognize, I need to be clothed again from power on high. I need strength. I'm not talking about you just praying in a prayer language. I'm talking about, it says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled, continuously filled with the Spirit. Maybe today you need a healing from God. There's something in your body that is just plaguing you. You've gone to the doctors and you've had so many other people try to reason out what's going on, but you need the spirit of the living God to come in and radically transform your physical body. In this moment, I encourage you to close your eyes. Relax your body. There's no pressure. We're not counting hands, counting heads. And just sing this song.